Please to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. I'm going to kind of walk through this psalm together this evening and look at it. Um, I found it kind of interesting as I was reading through and, and studying that, you know, one of the commentators pointed out that uh, this psalm is it's kind of unique in, in the fact that it is, it's 100% praise to God. 100%. He, he writes that this psalm has no other elements. It is pure praise. It does not call upon us to do anything because the psalm is itself doing the only thing it's concerned about. It is praising God. So, uh, 11 verses of, of praise to God, 11 verses of describing God's attributes and His actions and, and, and praising Him with reference for them. And so, when we come to this psalm, we look at the, the uh, superscript uh, up above. We see that it is a, a psalm of David. Um, but we don't really get any other information there. We don't, for example, we don't know what kind of occasion it is that he's writing or, or anything like that. It just, it simply tells us it's a psalm of David. And there are a couple of kind of poetic features that are, are used in this psalm quite a bit. And so we want to kind of be looking out for those. Um, the first of those is repetition. We're going to see that as we work through the psalm. And also, um, Parallelism, and it's a parallelism, it's a kind of repetition where um, the author is going to say the same thing kind of back to back, but using slightly different words or different phrases. And again, we'll see that as we work through it. Um, the psalm is, has generally kind of been seen as having three parts to it. The first is, is kind of a call to worship. Then there's a description of a, of a storm that shows God's power, and, and lastly, there's encouragement to God's people um, in verses 10 and 11. So, let's look at this first part, verses 1 and 2. So, please follow with me as I read. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Um, this call to worship is actually directed at heavenly beings. It's what it says in the, in the ESV, or mighty ones, is what it says in New King James, or uh, sons of the mighty in the New American Standard, kind of different ways that that is translated. And the wording used literally translates sons of might or sons of God. And the thought here is that this term actually refers to angels. So David here is addressing and calling on the angels to worship the Lord, to ascribe um, to the Lord. And at first glance, this does seem kind of strange. But James uh, Montgomery Boyce, he actually says this. He says, David is overwhelmed with the majesty of God revealed in the storm that he has witnessed and is now going to describe. He feels that he needs help to praise God properly, to praise God adequately. The entire created order, including angels, must join in, and even then sufficient praise will be lacking. 
So it's a, an, an interesting opening to this psalm. Um, and as we mentioned a while ago, you can see the repetition here of ascribe to the Lord. Um, and, you know, technically it means to, to give, but we all know that, that we nor the angels in heaven, we're not going to give the Lord glory or strength as though he, he didn't have it. So we might say here that call to worship is to acknowledge or to admit or to recognize the glory and the strength that the Lord possesses. Um, then verse 2, it says to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name, to, to give him glory and honor that's befitting him, that, that is appropriate for who he is and what he has done throughout history. And, and we, know that, we know this is the goal, but we also know that we'll all, we're going to fall woefully short of, of being able to do this, to, to give him all the glory and praise that he is due, um, especially in this life. It's, it'll take an eternity. Right of ceaseless praise to honor the Lord with the praise that he's due. And so after saying ascribe to the Lord three times here in these two verses, the fourth time we read worship the Lord. And we again, we probably shouldn't try to, to draw a large distinction here between the two terms. It's very likely an, an example of the, the parallelism that we mentioned earlier. It's a way of, of saying the same thing with different words to, to add emphasis to what is being said. It's this... Um, call that, that all created beings, even angelic beings, are, are to worship the Lord and proclaim His glory and His splendor and His majesty and His strength and His might and His perfection and His purity because He's worthy of all praise. And so that's how this psalm opens. And then we come to verse 3. Um, and, and verses 3 through 9 are this the description of a storm, and it's used to show and to illustrate God's power and His might. Um, and you know, it's so true that a, a violent storm is very powerful. It can be very frightening as well, uh, a very scary thing. Many times it's a very destructive thing. Um, you know, we think about tornadoes and, and hurricanes and, and those things. Um, and we know when we, when we see them, when we know they're coming, or we experience them, there's nothing we can do to stop them, right? There's nothing we can do to, to avoid it happening. They're totally in the hand of the Lord. And so we see a description here, starting in verse 3. So if you would follow with me there. It says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. Um, so we can see these different ways that this, this storm is described. It's actually said that um, in the past, in the early church, this psalm would actually be read to children um, or to an entire congregation during storms. 
um, Lord Charles Spurgeon wrote this, that just as the eighth psalm is to be read by moonlight, when the stars are bright, as the 19th needs the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty, so this psalm, Psalm 29, can be best rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempest by the glare of the lightning or amid that dubious dusk which heralds the war of elements. The verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. God is everywhere conspicuous, and all the earth is hushed by the majesty of his presence. Um, it's interesting to talk about reading this psalm during a storm. I, one thing I remember growing up, I don't know about any of you, but for me, not so much with my parents, but when I went to visit my grandparents and there was a storm, everybody got in the living room and sat in complete silence. You just you're supposed to sit there and be quiet. And, uh, and I remember that very vividly. Um, and so I'm, maybe some of you do. I'm not sure where that came from, but maybe it is out of fear or, or reverence for the storm. And for, um, but very, very interesting. But, but the thought of this description here in, in verses 3 through 9, we see that it, it actually covers the an entire um, kind of region there. Syrian is mentioned in verse 6, and it's another name for Mount Hermon up in the north. And then Kadesh is mentioned in verse 9 in the southern part of the region. Um, so it kind of goes from north to the south. Um, you also notice in these verses the repetition of the phrase, the voice of the Lord. Um, it's mentioned seven times. It's a very biblical number. You know, um, perhaps it's, it's referring to the, the perfection of God even in the midst of this storm. Verse 3 tells us that the, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And uh, this might refer to the fact the storm is over the, the Mediterranean Sea there before it moves east over, over land. Um, David tells us here that the, that the God of glory thunders. And so this physical sound of thunder in the midst of this storm is kind of this poetic picture of, of the very voice of God that thunders. We see in Scripture this uh, talked about several times. First of all, we see that uh, God spoke to Moses in thunder in Exodus 19. Uh, in 1 Samuel um, it says, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. Isaiah 30 says, And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard, and the descending blow of his arm to be seen, in furious anger and flame, a devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm. And hailstones. Just more examples of the glory and the majesty and the power of the Lord. And we see in here in, in verse 4, that's exactly what it tells us. The voice of the Lord is, is powerful and it's full of majesty. We know the Lord created all things that exist by speaking them with his voice and his some of the commentators pointed out, they've actually said if, if, if that's what he can do with his voice, just imagine what he can do with his mighty right hand. Um, 
Matter of fact, uh, Spurgeon cautions us to take heed lest we provoke a blow from him. I thought it was very interesting. Um, verse 5 speaks of the cedars of Lebanon. And these were just huge, massive trees in the region. They, they were used in the building of the temple. Um, they were used in the building of palaces of, of David and Solomon. They're used in Scripture to, to describe in a figurative way what, that, what's strong and solid and, and formidable. And we read here that, that through this storm, the Lord just snaps them like a toothpick, like, like they're nothing. And it's not only one or two of them, but when we see in verse 6, it tells us that like throughout the whole area, these trees are bending back and forth and they're breaking from the wind of this storm so much so that when you go from a distance and you look back at it, it looks like the whole side of the mountain is moving. It's skipping like a young calf or a young wild ox. Um, and we see just the... the incredible power of what God is doing here. And I actually appreciated how Charles Spurgeon in, in this, he used this uh, description of God's power in, in these verses to, to, in the Old Testament to illustrate a New Testament truth. And he wrote this, the gospel of Jesus has a like dominion. It's like we read about here in Psalm 29 over the most inaccessible of mortals. And when the Lord sends the word, it breaks hearts that are far stouter than the cedars of Lebanon. What, what a great illustration and application of this attribute of God. The, the power that, that he has to act physically in the breaking of these trees, he has spiritually in the breaking of hearts, in the granting of repentance and faith. Um, verse 7 here speaks of showing forth flames of fire. The lightning that, that goes forth and it's, it forks through the sky and it accompanies the rain and thunder and, and the wind. Again, Spurgeon writes of this, this physical you know, illustration of a spiritual truth and he says, Flames of fire attend the voice of God in the gospel, illuminating and melting the hearts of men. By those he consumes our lust and kindles in us a holy flame of ever-aspiring love and holiness. It's just incredible picture of the power of the voice of God like fire in the hearts of men. Verse 8 speaks of the wilderness shaking. So all creation trembling before the might and the power of the Lord. In verse 9, here, the, the last verse of, of this section, we've got some interesting kind of translation things th that happen here. Um, most of our English translations follow, uh, follow this that, that talks about the, the deer giving birth in this verse. But I will, uh, I'll show you the, the Hebrew text for this verse. Um, now, it's Hebrews read right to left, and um, 
do you see all the, the dots and the dashes and stuff kind of above and below the big, bold characters that are up there? Those are actually vowels. Um, originally, manuscripts in Hebrew only contained consonants, so they would, they would look something like that, right? And so, um, originally, it was just consonants, and then the vowels were added later through these dots and, and dashes. Um, the interesting thing is in verse 9 that if you use one set of vowels with those consonants, it reads, makes the deer give birth. But if you use another set of vowels with those same consonants, it says makes the oaks to shake. And this second translation is actually what is used in the, the NIV and the, the New Living Translation. And, and in most Bibles, um, whichever one is used, they'll usually put a footnote in there giving the, the other one. Just very interesting. And the... The neat thing about it is, in the context of this passage, both would make sense, actually. Um, the, this great storm causes animals out of fear to, to go into to labor, but also the wind of the storm would twist oaks. Um, especially looking in the next line of the psalm, it says, The forests are stripped bare. So, with either translation, the point is the same, that the awesome power and might of the Lord in this storm. And again, one more time, uh, commenting on verse 9, um, here Spurgeon notes, the gospel has a light revealing power in dark hearts. In a moment it lights up every dark recess of the heart's ungodliness and bids the soul tremble before the Lord. At the end of verse 9, we see that all in his temple, they all cry glory. So in coming to the temple to worship the Lord, those whom he has created declare who he is. They declare this glory that he possesses, especially after seeing this incredible power working through this storm. The last stanza here in verses 10 and 11 um, give encouragement to God's people. So look with me. There at verses 10 and 11, it says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In other words, David is saying here, before, during, and after this huge storm that has swept through this whole region, with thunder and wind and lightning and, and rain and flooding, the Lord is enthroned over all of it. He is king and he's in control and he's in command over all of these things. And so therefore, the same Lord who has done this will also give strength and peace to his people. It's an incredible psalm of worship to God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what it reveals to us about who you are, about, Father, what um, you can do, about your, your power and your might. 
And so, Father, we want to worship you in light of that. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we go this week, Father. May we um, bow and worship and obey. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.